We live in uncertain times. Uh, what we've gone through the last six months has been unprecedented. I don't need to tell you this. Nobody prepared us for this. No one knows exactly what's coming next or how we're going to get through it. Did you take a class in high school or college or graduate school on how to deal with a pandemic? Let's, uh, yeah, thank you. Oh, by the way, uh, people asked, uh, how did your study leave go? Well, what'd you do? Well, our plan was to, uh, we are trying to sell our a house in Michigan, and uh, the plan was to, once it sold, we'd go back and have one final vacation and, and, and pick up our uh, personal belongings. Uh, it hasn't sold yet, uh, so we just stayed here, and uh, we decided it was time to clean out the house. Uh, so I ordered a U-Haul truck, 26 foot, and... Uh, we began to clear out, you know, furniture and, you know, beds that were breaking down and just stuff. We had, you know, like six storage rooms that were just completely packed. Uh, we have, we've lived in our house 21 years and nine children, and this is the first time we've cleaned it out. So, it, so I started out with a 26-foot a, a U-Haul. We ended up, we did that. And then the bays in the garage filled up again. I had to order another one. We've taken four trips uh, to uh, the dump and uh, many trips to Goodwill. So this truck's a little large. And uh, so we have a couple uh, light posts in our front yard. And as I came around the turn, boom, I hit one. And that's what it now looks like. Uh, so apparently I'm not very good at driving a big rig. And... Uh, but uh, we have, uh, uh, Andy uh, helped us uh, one of those days. We, we, we carried a lot of stuff out, right? And uh, so Andy Morgan's strong, strong man. Um, so uh, I didn't learn how to deal with all the issues our uh, country is facing. Our world is reeling in pain. Uh, we are emotionally exhausted. Our world, world is looking for leadership. Uh, we're, le look at, we're leading through uncharted territory. Our presidents, our senators, our congressional leaders, our governors, our mayors, our business leaders, and our pastors, none of us have led through anything like this. It's okay to be unsure, but that's when leadership is needed all the more. The prophet Isaiah, uh, Jeremiah serves as a great example of how to navigate uncertainty. Before I introduce Jeremiah, let me give you a little history of the nation Israel. Uh, the history of Israel begins with Abraham sometime a little after 2000 BC. Abraham responded to God's call to move from the Tigris-Euphrates uh, river area to the Mediterranean to begin the nation of Israel. Uh, Abraham's son was Isaac. Uh, his son was Jacob, and Jacob's son was Joseph. Joseph became the second most powerful ruler in Egypt. He led through a time of famine. He invited his family to move from Canaan uh, to Egypt so they could survive the famine. The next great leader is Moses, who leads the people out of Egypt. Uh, 
under the leadership of Joshua, uh, the people conquer the land of Canaan and move in there. This is followed by a period of the judges when everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Uh, then came the glory years uh, when Israel conquered most of the nations around them under King Saul, David, and Solomon. A civil war followed uh, in a divided country. Uh, the ten northern tribes were known as Israel. The two southern tribes were known as Judah. Uh, not one of the kings of Israel was good, so they strayed quickly from God, and God allowed them to be uh, taken into captivity by the Assyrians in 722 B.C. Judah had 20 kings. Eight were good and 12 were bad. Following their histories like riding a roller coaster. When they obeyed God, they were blessed. When they disobeyed, the people languished and they were conquered by their enemies. Finally, in 586 B.C., the people strayed so far from God that God allowed them to be taken into captivity by the Babylonians. Fifty years later, Cyrus the Great of Persia conquered Babylon. Uh, he brought in a new uh, people management plan. He put the conquered nations back in their own countries and taxed them. So many of the Jews who were taken into captivity came back to Judah, settled the land, and preserved the Jewish faith. Uh, the Jewish people have but one century, that is a high point in the history, yet they survive with their heritage intact. That's more than can be said for the Assyrians. That's more than can be said for the Babylonians. That's more than can be said for the Persians. It's even more than can be said for the Romans. One of the reasons for their survival is the prophets. One of the finest of the prophets is Jeremiah, who God sent to the people of Judah. He's born during the reign of Manasseh, who leads Israel for 55 years. He's the most evil ruler in the history of Judah. He leads the people into temple prostitution, making that part of their worship, and sacrificing their sons and daughters in the fire to the god Moloch. Here's how the book begins. The words of Jeremiah, son of Hilkiah, one of the priests of Anathoth in the territory of Benjamin, the word of the Lord came to him in the 13th year of the reign of Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah. Uh, Jeremiah begins to prophesy during the reign of Josiah. Josiah reigns from 640 to 609 B.C. Josiah is a good king. He finds the book of the law that had been discarded by his father, Manasseh. When he hears God's word, he's just struck with uh, grief, and he repents, and he leads reform throughout the country. God had promised through the prophets to judge Judah when Manasseh was king, but when Josiah took over and repented, he relented and said, I'm not going to judge the country during your reign. But soon after Josiah dies, the people slip back into their apostasy. And through the reign of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah, down to the fifth month of the eleventh year of Zedekiah, son of Josiah, king of Judah, when the people of Jerusalem went into exile. 
Uh, Jeremiah takes great pains to be very exact historically. He tells us exactly when he prophesied down to the exact month. This is one of the reasons we can believe the Bible. There's such an intention to historical detail. Uh, Jeremiah was a prophet to Judah from 627 B.C. until 582 B.C., a few years after the fall of Jerusalem, a period of 45 years. Jeremiah, Jeremiah ministers during uh, the, the administrations of five kings. Two of the kings reigned for such brief periods of times, he doesn't even mention them. He serves until Judah goes into captivity, a very sad time. He watches the nation slowly die. If you have a Bible, turn to Jeremiah chapter 20. Uh, we see that Jeremiah did not have it easy. Did not have it easy. When the priest Pasher, son of Immer, the chief officer in the temple of the Lord, heard Jeremiah prophesying these things, he was prophesying that they're going to be taken into captivity, he had Jeremiah the prophet beaten and put in the stocks at the upper gate of Benjamin of the Lord's temple. So then Jeremiah cries out to God, O Lord, you deceived me, and I was deceived. You overpowered me and prevailed in asking me to become a prophet. I am ridiculed all day long. Everyone mocks me. Uh, God thrusts Jeremiah like a spear into Judah to warn the people of their impending doom if they do not return to God. He preaches for 45 years, yet few heed his warnings. Instead, they laugh at him and despise him. But as soon as Jeremiah finished telling all the people everything the Lord had commanded him to say, the priests, the prophets, and all the people seized him and said, you must die. The people said, let's string Jeremiah up. It's interesting what people do when faced with the truth. I read about a developing country uh, years ago that was facing an infection. Uh, it was a serious infection. People were dying all over the place. It's sort of like COVID, only it was just in one uh, village. And so they brought in this medical missionary to help them figure out what was wrong. And he took all these samples and uh, he, he finally concluded that the, the source of the uh, bacteria was the river. And so he called in the tribal chiefs and he showed them on his microscopes the, the bacteria and he says, you've got to deal with the river. And so he got ready to, to leave assuming that the problem would be solved. But the next morning he woke up and he found all his microscopes smashed. Interesting, isn't it? To link the person revealing the problem with the problem. That's what happens in Judah. They say, let's get rid of Jeremiah. He only gives us negative reports. If you stand for the truth, you too will be the object of mistreatment. You may feel like you're the only one in your class, at your office, or in your family who takes Christ seriously. God does not promise you that it will be easy. 
I'm sure Jeremiah feels like he's the only one who stands for God's truth. Jeremiah spends a lot of time in tears. Oh, that my head were a spring of water and my eyes a fountain of tears. I would weep day and night for the slain of my people. Some of his tears are shed for uh, the terrible treatment that he receives. But many of his tears are shed just out of sadness for his people. If the loneliness of being rejected was not enough, Jeremiah 16.2 tells us that God told Jeremiah not to marry. He was not to pursue romance. He was single. Jeremiah is sad and lonely and given to deep depression at times. Cursed be the day I was born. May the day my mother bore me not be blessed. Possibly as we've gone through this pandemic, economic shutdown, social unrest and rioting, and now wildfires, you identify with Jeremiah. You go through times of depression and wonder if we're ever going to get through this. Maybe you're facing a family problem or a health crisis or work troubles. You pray, but things never seem to get better. In times of uncertainty, people need leaders to give them at least four things. Leadership, if you want to define it, is influence. And you influence somebody. Could be people under your employ. It could be one employee. It could be your husband or your wife. Could be a neighbor. Could be a friend. Could be your son or daughter. You need to provide whoever you influence Four things. We find all four of these with Jeremiah. First, provide clarity. No leaders today can tell you what is going to happen in the next 60 days. So we don't want to give in to the temptation to provide certainty. No one knows what the future holds, so we can't make promises about things over which we have no control. But we must provide clarity about what we do know. So, for example, I can say, I don't know when we will allow to be allowed to fully open our church again for worship. But until we get new information, we're going to provide our services online. And we're going to begin to open up and invite more of you to come to our 1045 service than our 9 o'clock and then to kids space. We'll continue to provide uh, community groups, discipleship groups, youth group, uh, college group, karate classes. Clarity is the next best thing to certainty. Clarity says, I don't know what's going to happen, but we're going to prepare for whatever happens. We will do this until we get new information. When terrorists uh, struck the Twin Towers in New York, President Bush was reading to children in a classroom. Secret Service came and whispered in his ear that a plane had flown in to one of the Twin Towers. He didn't want to panic the nation, 
And so until he got new information, he went back to reading to the children. When he did get new information and we knew that it was a terrorist attack, he, he said this to the nation, we will get through this. We will respond to the terrorists at the time and place of our choosing. He wasn't certain about what would happen next, but he assured us that we as a nation would respond. Jeremiah did not feel certain about what would happen next, but he felt certain about God. In the first chapter we read, The word of the Lord came to me saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. This verse is one of the reasons I believe in the sanctity of life. Some people claim that an embryo is nothing. Uh, It's nothing until the, the baby is born. But God tells Jeremiah he knew him before he was even conceived. The embryo in the womb is a real human life created in the image of God. Jeremiah responds, Ah, sovereign Lord, I do not know how to speak. I am only a child. Uh, We believe that when Jeremiah was called by God, he was only 19 or 20 years old. He's saying, God, I don't even have my bachelor's degree. I haven't got my doctorate yet. If you're in your teens or in your 20s, don't think that you have to wait to serve God. The Lord responded to Jeremiah, but the Lord said, do not say I'm only a child. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. God promises to be with him. Remember that God's promise makes you a match for whatever challenge you face. Our certainty is not in knowing the future, but in knowing that God is with us. God says, they will fight against you, but will not overcome you, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. There's the clarity. We know that God is with us. He'll help us get through COVID-19. We know that God is with us. He will help us with our economic shutdown. If you've lost your job, He will help you to find new employment. If your business has been hurt, He will provide for you and restore it and make sure you don't go without. We don't know how we're going to get through this social uh, unrest. Maybe your uh, business has been destroyed in Portland. Or maybe it's down 70% because people are afraid to come downtown. God is with you. Ah, sovereign Lord, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. I am the Lord, the God of all mankind. Is anything too hard for me? 
when we are uncertain, all we have to know is that God is sovereign and He is with us. I don't know what's going to happen in the days ahead, but the clarity I can provide you is that God is with you. Second, present choices. We can tell people that we do not know what the future holds, but we know if they do this, good things will happen. If they do that, bad things will happen. That's what Jeremiah does. For 45 years, he warned the people of Judah that if they don't return to God, bad things are going to happen to them. They're going to be taken into captivity by Babylon. God says to Jeremiah, go up and down the streets of Jerusalem, look around and consider, search through her squares. If you can find but one person who deals honestly and seeks the truth, I will forgive this city. Jeremiah goes and he can't find one person. Everyone is corrupt. The last chapter of Jeremiah is one of the saddest chapters in the Bible. We read in Jeremiah 52.10, There at Riblah, the king of Babylon slaughtered the sons of Zedekiah. Zedekiah was the last king in Judah. He slaughtered his sons before his eyes. He also killed all the officials of Judah. Then he put out Zedekiah's eyes bound him with bronze shackles and took him to Babylon where he put him in prison till the day of his death. And then the Babylonians destroyed Jerusalem. On the 10th day of the fifth month, notice again how specific uh, Jeremiah is historically. In the 19th year of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, Nebuzaradan, commander of the imperial guard, who served the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem. He set fire to the temple of the Lord, the royal palace, and all the houses of Jerusalem. Every important building he burned down. The whole Babylonian army under the commander of the imperial guard broke down all the walls around Jerusalem. Jeremiah watched the death of a nation. People facing the consequences of their choices. After President Harry Truman gave a, a particularly strong talk to the nation, one of his cabinet members said, boy, you really gave them hell today. And Truman looked back at him and he says, I didn't give them hell. I simply told them the truth and it sounded like hell. Jeremiah told the people the truth that if they did not return to God, they would be killed or taken into captivity by the Babylonians. Our times are eerily similar to those of Jeremiah. We live in a post-Christian age. Most people in our country have abandoned the idea of moral absolutes. They believe that right and wrong is, is whatever's right or wrong for you. It's relative. As more and more people turn away from God and do whatever they think is right with little concern about whether or not God says it's right, 
more and more bad things will happen in our country. We present people a choice. Turn away from God or turn back to God. Third, give hope. People today are exhausted by all that is going on in our country. They want to know that we'll get through this and that things will settle down again. They're looking for hope. And that's what Jeremiah gives the people. It's true that Jeremiah warned the people what would happen if they continued to disobey God. But God's warnings and judgments are conditional. Jeremiah says, and if that nation I warned repents of its evil, then I will relent and not inflict on it the disaster I had planned. Judgment occurs only if people refuse to repent. With warnings, we always find grace and hope. Prophets have a ministry of judgment and grace. Although Jeremiah prophesies uh, of, of judgment, his primary purpose is to call people back to God. Forty-seven times, Jeremiah tells the people, return. If you have your Bible, turn back to Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 11. The word of the Lord came to me. What do you see, Jeremiah? I see the branch of an almond tree. The Lord said to me, you have seen correctly, for I am watching to see that my word is fulfilled. Jeremiah sees an almond branch. This is a, uh, a vision of hope. An almond tree has a, a winter blossom. It's the first sign that spring is coming. God says, I will bring life out of the dry branches. He says the same thing to us today. As a country, I will bring life out of all this tumultuousness going on. Although most of the people of Judah are killed or taken into captivity, God cultivates a faithful few who obey him. There are faithful Jews in Judah all the way until Christ comes. Still today, no matter how bad things get in the world, God always nurtures a remnant of faithful followers of Jesus Christ. In Jeremiah 31, uh, Jeremiah foretells about the coming of Christ and how he'll make everything new and establish a new covenant. The time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt. This is Moses. Because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds. The promises of the, of the new covenant is when Christ comes, if we give our lives to Christ, He will put His Holy Spirit inside of us and write His laws on our minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. 
although Jeremiah gives the people warnings, he ends with a note of hope. In the midst of the lamentation over fallen Jerusalem, uh, Jeremiah concludes, this is Lamentations chapter 3, verse 22. This is probably the verse I quote more than any other verse in the Bible. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. Because God loves us so much with all the problems going on in the world or the problems going on in your life, you do not need to be consumed with grief. For His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Before the NIV updated their version in 2011 to make it gender neutral, it said, His mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. You can look for God's mercies and compassions every day. The people do not believe Jeremiah until the Babylonians come and conquer Judah. As they are carted off to Babylon, many of the Jews turn back to God because later prophets tell us there were many faithful followers of God in captivity. Israel never attended to its faith until catastrophe came. Maybe that's why they survived culturally and the Assyrians and Babylonians did not. Read me a Babylonian poem. Read me an Assyrian poem or song. Where are they? Read me an Egyptian poem. Of course, they never developed an alphabet. All they were stuck with were hieroglyphics, and you can't make those rhyme, so maybe that's not fair. Their cultures did not survive. But Israel's did. Why? Because God sent them the prophets. In times of disaster, they turned back to, to God and survived. Most of Israel's history was catastrophe, except for a few exciting years when the, 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 uh, the conquest of Canaan and then the glory years under Kings David and Solomon. Israel's history was a disaster otherwise. I'm not wishing for a disaster on us, but it sure clears the air. Tough times can clear the air and cause us to realize what our true priorities should be. When terrorists attacked our country on 9-11, our country pulled together New Yorkers cared for each other, and many people flew to New York to help. People flooded our churches for about six years, or about six weeks. Maybe you've had a friend or family member die from COVID, or maybe your business has been hurt because of the economic shutdown. And suddenly it hits home. Everything can change in the blink of an eye. 
Our only hope is in Christ. Provide clarity, present choices, give hope. And the fourth thing leaders need to provide in uncertain times is display humanity. To lead through times of uncertainty, we must display our humanity. We have to show our humility that we don't know what's going to happen and that we have fears like everyone else. We have to show people that we care what they're going through. During this economic shutdown and pandemic, I've seen a lot less of you. We haven't been able to meet as a church. I've wondered how I can stay in touch with everyone in the church. Uh, the tendency is to think is since I can't uh, call everyone that I can't call anybody. I mean, that's crazy thinking. So I decided early on that I'd call maybe three people a week. And I found out how you're doing and what impact COVID has had on you and on your business. I've tried to send out short videos every week just to give you a little update of where we are. Let you know that I care. If you've ever sat in a hospital waiting room waiting for news from the surgeon, can the surgeon come out too often to give you an update? Of course not. You're dying for information. So I've tried to communicate regularly with you, usually through a video, so you know a little bit of what, what we're doing and that I care. One of the saddest things that happened, that has happened in our church since the whole pandemic shutdown was uh, the death of Betty Jones. One year ago, I officiated at the marriage of Don McCollum and Betty Jones. They had a beautiful wedding. They so looked forward to years of being together. And then 10 months later, on July 6th, she had a massive stroke. She died within seconds. It was such a shock to Don. He was older and never expected to outlive Betty. So I helped him by officiating at the memorial service two weeks ago. When I heard that she died, I called immediately. He just needed to know that I cared. We're living in uncertain times. How do we navigate uncertainty? I don't know for sure. But I do know we need to provide clarity, present choices, give hope, and display humanity. Let's pray. Father, as John prayed earlier, we are going through very uncertain times. And we don't know how to get through them. But we have seen today that you are with us, you are sovereign, and that gives us all the clarity we need. And so we thank you that you're going to see us through. Father, I pray for people here that are suffering in some way, that they would feel your presence. I want you to pray right now, just tell God in the midst of all we're going through as a country, Maybe you're going through as an individual. 
that you put your trust in Him, that you believe He is with you. If you've never committed your life to Christ, you can do so right now. Invite Him into your life. Tell Him you believe He's the Son of God and He died for your sins and you want Him to come in and forgive you. You pray right now.